You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jet Nation. This is your solo host, temporarily, uh, Alex Rallo, checking in. Uh, Glenn will be joining us shortly tonight. And it just seems like this is one of those weeks where Glenn and I have had a little difficulty getting our schedules uh, to align in the proper manner. But we're going to work through this, and we're going to get you guys the content that you are desperate for, which is the New York Jets. Uh, So Glenn covered uh, his takes last night um, in the solo podcast about all the new draft picks. And uh, so I haven't given you my outcome yet. So we're going to go into a little bit of a deeper dive into what I'm thinking about all these picks that we just uh, selected last weekend. And uh, we also have a special guest tonight coming on to the show, which we'll be calling in uh, relatively soon. And our guest tonight is going to be Scott Carter, He is the senior editor and writer for the Gators. So no better to give us some insight on our new players and someone that lives it, breathes it, and has eyes on it every year. So definitely looking forward to what Scott has to bring to the table tonight and give us a little bit more of uh, of what kind of players um, that, that we've inherited this weekend. So, uh, you know, right now I'll just jump right into my thoughts of the draft. Uh, I think Joe Douglas did a very, very good job. Um, He was very active as far as making proper trades, um, acquiring more picks for this year's draft, and we have an extra pick for next year's draft. Uh, we We started out with eight picks. And uh, we ended up with nine selections, one trade um, with the Colts with our final pick, Quincy Wilson, um, a cornerback that was pretty highly spoken of when he came into the draft, I believe, in 2017. And it just doesn't seem like he was the right fit in Indianapolis. Uh, So, you know, like I said, the Jets started out with eight picks. We got nine selections, and we got one player. So we ended up with ten players after this draft plus a pick for next year. So definitely a very good job by Joe Douglas. Um, You know, his first and second round, I think, were slam dunks. Uh, You know, we obviously needed a lot of help in the uh, offensive line area, and we definitely addressed that early, which was good. Uh, We got a mountain of a man in Mackay Becton, uh, the largest uh, offensive tackle and probably prospect in this draft. So, you know, the theme for this off season, it seems, or we've been also told is that we got to protect Sam Darnold and we have to get him more weapons. So first night and the second night, that's exactly what Joe Douglas did. He brought in a big monster of a man to protect him, help us in, uh, you know, keeping Sam upright. And we have a road grader bulldozer for the run game as well. Uh, Hopefully, you know, he has what it takes to gel quickly and 
Le'Veon Bell can start being a benefactor and going back to the way he used to run the ball a few years ago. Because uh, as we know, he did have a down year last year. So I'm sure Sam and uh, Le'Veon are extremely, um, you know, excited to to see this young talent and to see that Joe Douglas has committed to to his word of building a better line. Now, we don't know how it's all going to work out, but theoretically on paper, um, you know, we've got a really, really good center in Connor McGovern uh, who didn't barely had any penalties um, the last couple of years. So, and, and if you noticed a lot of the selections in which Joe Douglas has made with his offensive linemen, they seem to be very, very uh, consistent and reliable and it seems like they always have their head in the game, so they got a good head on their shoulders um, rather than, you know, some inexperienced players that sometimes, uh, you know, forget the snap count or, or just don't have the, uh, you know, the sense to, to be disciplined is what I'm trying to say when, when you're on the offensive line. Because last year uh, we had a lot of problems and we moved more than forwards uh, for about the first six weeks of, of the year so. It's really, really nice to know that we've got uh, smarter players, um, we've got younger players, and, you know, right now there's a lot of competition that's going to go into the interior aspect of the line, and hopefully that turns out to be the best product that we can put on the field. So, uh, you know, our first pick, I really, really loved it. Um, And now moving to our second pick, um, which is is definitely my favorite pick of the entire draft, um, as you guys know, if you've listened to me um, and Glenn over the last couple months, um, Denzel Mims has been a player that we've spoken about a lot. Um, I was He was on my radar last year, and, you know, I just kind of thought he was going to be a sleeper and somebody that was going to kind of fly underneath the radar and maybe be a day two, day three pick in that third or fourth round. And, you know, he absolutely killed it at the draft in the combine. Um, he put out – crazy numbers, I think a 4.3840, jumped almost 40 uh, inches in the vert. Um, his broad jump was, was extremely impressive and in the top tier as well. So, you know, what you see is athleticism, uh, a, lo- a lower lower body strength um, with his, you know, jumping abilities, being able to get vertical. Uh, if you watched any film on him, you can definitely see that he uh, – as he's exceptional at the catch point. Um, he's very, very good when he gets up there. Um, he can position his body as well. He's got a lot of he, – he's very sound as far as his control. Um, you know, a lot of guys will go up and be a little timid when they go up for the football. He seems to have a pretty good aspect of getting up, getting the ball, and protecting it and protecting himself on the way down. So a little bit of a, a fearless player where we've seen players kind of make business decisions um, in the event that they're, you know, exposing their, their rib cage or their bodies. Um, Denzel seems like the type of player that will go up, uh, fight for the football, and win. Um, now, as far as, you know, some, some of the stats, um, I put out an article late March um, in regards to him. And, you know, just a fun tidbit that you might want to know. He won the 200-meter uh, state championship while he was in Texas. So, you know, you could definitely see that Joe Douglas had a theme of getting faster players 
uh, as Makai Becton had one of the most impressive 40 times, a, a 5.1 for a 365-pound man. Uh, I don't think anyone else has done that at his size. So you can see how Joe Douglas has, you know, targeted smart players. He's targeted the right personnel groups, um, guys that are love the game, are completely into it. Uh, you know, Mims has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because I guess he felt that he was a first-round talent and should have went in the first round. And, he's, you know, hopefully he carries that with him and that, you know, turns into something extremely productive for this offense and, and becomes the number one go-to guy for Sam. So, I'm, you know, obviously I'm, I'm really, really high, and I love this pick. You know, he just has that it factor that I saw compared to some other uh, players out there. And the fact that he was on the board at 48 and we moved back to pick 59 and still get him and acquire more picks, uh, again, another, you know, home run for, for Joe Douglas there. Uh, so I definitely love that. Uh, you know, moving on to our third round, um, this was where, you know, a lot of fans have some mixed opinions. Uh, we went the defensive route to stay somewhat balanced after the first and second day. Uh, we started out with two offensive players, and then we immediately go defense back-to-back with Ashton Davis, a defensive back from Cal, and Jabari Zuniga from Florida, who has been labeled as an edge defender. Um, I'm curious about that, and then, you know, I'll ask Scott about how he feels about that. Um, you know, I have different thoughts on the matter, but I'll share that later. Uh, so we'll see what he has to say in regards to those two players. Now, as far as the Ashton Davis situation here, um, obviously there has been a lot of turmoil and a lot of rumors flying around with Jamal Adams and his position to safety. And when they announced the pick for Ashton Davis, that's how they labeled him. And a lot of people, um, you know, eyes lit up and a lot of people went to social media and, you know, wanted to be the first one to say, well, Jamal's going, you know, out the door now. I don't see that as the scenario, um, you know, seeing just a little bit, uh, you know, only a few hours of, of Ashton Davis, he really seems to be um, a versatile uh, multi-facet uh, kind of player who can line up at free safety, um, comes down and, and into the tackle box and gives a little bit of a strong safety presence. Not sure if that's his best fit, to be honest with you. Uh, but he also did seem that he was comfortable in the nickelback position. So this is someone that can play corner. I wouldn't recommend putting him on the outside, probably inside, uh, and then someone that can step in and, and play that free safety role as well. So if you look at our team and, you know, we to be smart and we have to not only improve our starting roster, but we have to improve our depth pieces as well. And I think we learned that lesson the hard way last year uh, because, you know, we did a lot of reaching and digging and crawling to attempt to find, um, you know, better players. Uh, you know, to step up, next man up process. So I think that by adding Ashton Davis here, we have a backup that can play behind Brian Poole at the nickel. We have a backup that uh, might be able to play in um, Jamal Adams' role. I I doubt it, to be honest with you. There's not many people that can do what Jamal Adams does. Uh, But I definitely could see him in the event that something happens with Marcus May As we know, he did have a good year last year. Um, He was able to stay healthy, but history tells us that he has had some issues staying on the field. 
in the event that something happens to either of the two of them, we have someone that we can rely on, we hope. Uh, you know, we haven't seen anything from Ashton Davis or how he handles himself against NFL talent. But at the moment, we do seem to have some depth in the secondary. And that was something that we really needed to improve. Um, you know, the Jets needed to, you know, offensively protect Sam, get more targets, um, help Le'Veon Bell, you know, open up his game. So I feel like we've he's done a lot, Joe Douglas in that manner, uh, to address the offensive needs. And now going to the defensive side, we most certainly needed to have stronger play at the edge position for, you know, pass rushing, and we needed stronger play on the outside for corners. Um, even though we had some guys step up last year and, and do fairly well in a pinch, um, but at the end of the day, we have to be smart about this and make sure that when we deploy our team in September, we have the best five or six corners and on our roster in the event that anything happens, our defense will not skip a beat. So a lot of bodies out there um, as far as, you know, competition. Um, as we know, kind of the top tier guys of the defensive backs or cornerbacks, rather, we have Pierre Desir, plus Austin, Arthur Mollette. Uh, we brought in uh, Quincy Wilson in a trade, uh, which is very intriguing. Um, you know, again, this might be one of those scenarios like Henry Anderson where things didn't work out in Indianapolis and maybe things work out in New York under Greg Williams scheme. Um, don't really know if those are the four guys that we, we go forward with that that's not too bad um, in my opinion. And, you know, if they go ahead and um, you know, one of these UDFAs that they brought in, because they did bring in um, quite a lot of talent uh, at the cornerback position in the UDFAs as well. Uh, one of them, Lamar Jackson, um, not the Lamar Jackson out of Baltimore. Uh, we also brought in Shaheen Carter uh, from Alabama. And I know that we brought in one or two other guys, uh, possibly like a Gidry, I think his last name was. I haven't really followed up too much on the um, UDFAs yet. Uh, you know, we got plenty of time before training camp rolls around for us to, to dive deeper and see who's who. So, you know, cornerback has definitely been a – has been prioritized by Joe Douglas and Greg Williams. Um, they clearly know that they have to, to improve that area. And um, it does seem like we have a caller in here. I'm going to guess that this might be Scott, so let's get him on the air. One second here, folks. Okay. Uh, is this Scott on the line? Yep, this is Scott. How are you? Scott, how you doing? This is Alex. Uh, Glenn's not with us hey, uh, right now. He he will be with us shortly. Um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to say thank you uh, so much for uh, giving us a little bit of your time. Um, you know, as, as we know, we're going through uh, probably one of the craziest times we've all experienced in the world. So, you know, uh, I hope everything's well with you and your family. And, um, you know, it's glad to uh, kind of, do get a little distraction here and talk a little bit about football. And, uh, yeah, you know, I told yeah. uh, some of our fans where you're coming from, but why don't you go ahead and um, you give some of our new listeners a little insight um, about your background. Yeah, the draft came uh, along at a good time, I think, for everybody. But as far as me, I'm I'm down in Gainesville where uh, 
the Jets fans are getting accustomed to uh, some guys down here in Florida uh, the last couple of years, certainly. So I covered the, uh, the Gators for FloridaGators.com, actually our official site, former newspaper guy who did that for many years and, uh, and joined uh, the, the Gators uh, site a few years ago. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's uh, the Jets have become a, a very uh, topical team uh, for Florida fans the last couple of years. Oh, absolutely. We're turning into the uh, Floridian Jets, it seems like, with all the Gators we have in-house. Um, if I'm not mistaken, is Pierre Desir also a Gator? Um thought I heard that somewhere. I'm not too sure. But between him, yeah, Marcus know. May. Yeah, yeah Marcus up May. Right now. Brian Poole, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you know you have yep. the draft yep. picks this year with P. Ryan and Zuniga. And, uh, I, think, uh, I think there's, what, five currently on the roster, maybe six. Of course, uh, we, we know that uh, <laughs> that uh, Ja'Kai Polite did not work out as well as uh, a lot of people thought he would. Uh, so, he, you know, he's, he's no longer them. there. But, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I was kind of there with you. I, I did not expect – well, you never expect a guy drafted, I think, what, 68th overall to kind of flame out as quickly as he did. I think there were some things going on maybe with him that just a lot of people – weren't aware of and you hope that he can uh, he can turn it around but I will say from the guys who the Jets picked this year little Michael Pirine and Jabari Zaniga I don't see any kind of issues related to you know some of the off the field stuff that we heard about with Polite but both of these guys are really just stand up guys for the Gators I think I think Zaniga could one day be a, a guy that if he continues to get better and show what he did here I think uh he could be a steal of the draft. And P. Ryan's just a, a guy that, you know, he's a developmental guy, I think, in NFL, but I think he has a lot of the tools that can translate to a long-term success if, if uh, maybe the, the organization can give him a couple of years to develop there. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I was wrong about uh, Pierre Desir. He went to Linwood, but it was Quincy Wilson who also came from Florida. That's what I meant to say. Um, so yeah. we've we got a lot of Gators in-house right now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, what was interesting is that there was a theme going on with our draft. And from the fourth round on, uh, Joe Douglas selected mm-hmm. teams. Uh, so why don't we start with uh, uh, LaMichael Pirine here. And uh, what kind of running back? Uh, or can we expect to have here? Is he someone that is a power back? Is he a speed back? Does he have a combination of both? Uh, where do you see him in, in, in your eyes? I think he's definitely more of a combination back. You know, at Florida, he, you know, he, he, he's got a great backstory. I don't know how much it's been flushed out in New York yet, but he was a guy that grew up in Alabama, wanted to really go to Auburn, went to a camp there and basically – was told that, hey, you're too slow. You know, we're, you're just not going to be in our plan. So he heard about this camp at Florida, caught a bus, rode down here on his own, impressed the coaching staff here at the time. And, of course, the rest is kind of history with what he did at Florida. And his big signature moment was this past season when he had an 88-yard touchdown run to ice the game against Auburn. It was one of those stories that just kind of circled perfectly for him. Um but, you know, the thing that I think will impress you the most about Michael is he, he can run between the tackles. He's not certainly not a speed guy who's going to blow people away off the edge. But if he gets in the open field, he does have surprising speed, as, as we've seen, you know, in that run against Auburn. I mean, it's, it's not easy to 
reel off an 88-yard run against a, a team that produced a lot of NFL play, uh, picks this past weekend too. Uh, but he's also very good out of the backfield catching the ball. That was that was really, I think, the prove the most at Florida. He knew to get a shot in the NFL, he was going to have to develop into a receiver. They caught 40 passes this year, which, you know, that's, that's the most I think a Gators running back has had in a, quite a while. Uh, it's just something that we saw continued improvement in his game from. So he offers a, a, a you know a, kind of a, a diverse skill set that you know can certainly help a team in NFL, especially with the game being more open now. The offense is more open than ever before. Uh, so I, I think that you know that projects well for him. Yeah, that, that was definitely one thing that stood out to me was the amount of receptions that he had had. And, you know, there are receivers that don't end up with that that amount um, in a single year. So it's definitely impressive. And when you have a running back who could be a dual threat in the run game and pass game, clearly, uh, you know, that that's beneficial. Um, is, is he a good pass blocker? Would he be someone that we could rely on in, in you know, long-distance um, you know, situations? He improved in that area. That was another area where, you know, especially when Dan Mullen got here and took over, that was one of his things that he stressed to LaMichael early on, that you got to get better at pass pro. And I, I think he, he's the kind of player that you tell him there's something that he's, you know, he needs to work on, he's really going to put in the work. And I think that's why you saw that success. So, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a different challenge, fell level. I mean, the guys who are coming at, you know, the quarterback, Sam Darnold, they're, they're probably going to be more talented, obviously, than some of the guys he was trying to hold off here at the college level. But I think playing in the SEC uh, and against so many great players who, you know, are, you're going to see on Sundays now, I mean, he certainly has that ability. But I don't know if you're ever at, at where you want to be in that regard, especially when the quarterback is the franchise at the next level. So I just think it's something that, you know, he's going to continue to work at, but he, 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 he does take that part of the game seriously. It's not something that he blows off. Yeah. You know, I feel that, you know, if, if you're going to be a starting caliber running back in this league, you have to bring, you know, multiple things to the table. Um, and if you can't block, then you're probably not going to get a, get a chance to, you know, get a majority of the reps out there. So if you can receive, and give us a pass option. If you can block and keep, you know, our quarterback upright, you know, clearly he's going to have a role somewhere down the line. And that brings me to my next question because, you know, as we all know, he does have a premier running back in front of him in Le'Veon Bell right now. So I guess, you know, we should probably temper our expectations in year one, what he can do. Um, But in the event, you know, the way the contract is working with Bell, we do have options next year if we want to part ways with him, and that will obviously boost up, um, you know, P. Ron's, uh, you know, status to become a starter here. Uh, so I definitely like the fact that we've improved our offensive line on paper, that is, and you, we've brought in some more talent at the running back position, and I think that the Jets definitely need to commit to the run this year and establish a little bit more of that just to, you know, get Darnold in a, in a better flow rather than having him, you know, throw the ball 40, 50 times a game. But uh, yeah, I want to switch over to the defensive side. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was saying it was, it's going to be hard to win consistently if you're going to have to throw 40 or 50 times. So I think having Bell there, you know, if I'm Michael P. Ryan and I, I look at my situation that, you know, exists there with the Jets, I mean, I, 
I look at it as a great opportunity to learn from a veteran back who's proven himself and whose long-term future may not be there. So if you can go in and learn as much as you can and and uh, get some reps and prove yourself, I mean, uh, it looks like you could have an opportunity there. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, from some of the rumors that kind of run through in-house, um, you know, some people have speculated that particular individuals are not in love with Le'Veon Bells. Um, and as you know, you know, we kind of had a GM uh, mix up and change after our draft last year. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, um, you know, Joe has his guys now, but no one was really um, tied to him last year. So it'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, what happens with Bell and, and Piran this year and, and, you know, how many touches is the kid going to get? And then, you know, if he, if he shows any promise, definitely uh, not, not be well for, for 26 next year. But uh, let's go over to the defensive side, and let's talk about Jabari Zuniga here. Um, now, last year, um, you know, and a lot of fans here will say, oh, God, here we go again, another polite. I don't think that's fair um, to, always, you know, throw out the last prospect that didn't work out from that school on the new guy. Um, that just doesn't seem like a, the right thing to do, but people do it anyway. And uh, so, so what kind of player are we getting from in Zuniga? Well, I think the biggest difference is, you know, if I'm a Jet fan, I'm, I'm probably thinking that same thing to some degree. But I think that if you look at the career arcs of those two guys here at Florida, they're, they're totally different. You know, Zuniga came in and redshirted his first year. And, he, you know, he, I think he had four sacks in his first four games as a freshman as he worked into the rotation, continued to get better through his junior year. And, unfortunately, injuries sidelined him a lot uh, as a senior, as you guys know. Uh, but when he was on the field and, and was able to, uh, you know, play some and, and stay healthy, I mean, he he showed up every play, seemingly. I mean, he, he was a guy that – he's just one of those difference makers, really quick at the snap. Whereas Ja'Kai was a guy that – I mean, he had a, a better one season than, than Jabari probably ever had, obviously, at Florida. But that was really – it was kind of a flash in the pan. You wonder if it was real or where it was going to take him. And, uh, unfortunately, the short-term – yeah, it doesn't seem uh, that it's something that you know is. It was, I guess, able to uh, able to he could maintain it. I don't. I think Jabari is the kind of guy that is totally different personality as well. I mean, he's he's kind of a quieter guy, uh, just a little guy who again a little bit like Michael in the fact that takes what kind of coaching he gets pretty serious and tries to go out and and get better and. Uh, I think his the reason I said he could be a steal in the draft because if he was healthy and had produced at the level that he had and, and maybe put up a couple more sacks, I mean, there was a lot of talk that he could be a first-round pick, you know, going into his senior season. And, unfortunately, the, the injuries weren't there, but the Jets saw enough, I guess, to still like him uh, in the third round. And I do uh, I do like his upside. I know potential is kind of a – it's a, uh, it's a you know, it's a, a word that a lot of – scares a lot of GMs or a lot of people because, you know, they want to see it right away. But I do think that if he stays healthy, Zuniga will be a player at that level. And uh, he could turn out to be, like as I said, a real steal when you look back three, four, five years on this draft uh, because he has so many of the tools and skill skills that, you know, matter in NFL as, as those guys who are on the edge trying to pressure the quarterback. He has a lot of those qualities. Uh, you know, and Glenn has uh, joined us. Are you there, Glenn? 
here I was setting this whole thing up. I call a while second and say, I'm going to be late. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, Glenn, you're uh, you're coming in a little choppy right there. A um, little bit of uh, I don't know. You're in and out a little bit here. Um, so maybe you could try to call in again real quick. Um, but Scott, I, I was I was kind of curious. Um, uh, so when I was watching Zuniga, I kind of came away with this uh, this notion, you know, because a lot of people like to, you know, are infatuated with this edge position. Um, so I didn't really see him in a two point stance and I kind of feel that to be, you know, theoretically an edge player, you have to, um, you know, number one, play stand up, uh, put your hand in the dirt and then, you know, drop back into coverage every now and again, um, and, and clearly put pressure on the quarterback. So is, is he, can he be considered an edge or are we looking at someone that might possibly be an exclusive defensive end? You know, if I if I would guess, I mean, I'd probably label him more as defensive end. Um, and I know, I mean, he played inside here at Florida too, so that versatility up front obviously helps him. Um, I don't know if he's what you call it, a you know, a, a classic edge rusher. I think obviously when they were looking at polite last year, I'm sure they viewed him more in that uh, role of a player than maybe Zaniga. I think Zaniga's got a little bit more beef to him. I I know he carries a quite a bit more weight than Polite did, but he still has a quick burst off the ball. So, But I do probably see him more as a, a defensive end, uh, but who can also, you know, get inside when needed if uh, if that's what, what the package of defense calls for. Uh, so uh, just to answer your question, I I don't see him as strictly just like a, your classic edge rusher that, uh, that we see in the NFL today. You know, that that was kind of my consensus. I haven't really gone too deep into, you know, watching a lot of Florida tape right now. I clearly have plenty of time to do so. Um, so I will be doing that. At the moment, you know, it just kind of seemed to me that, you know, I just got that feeling that this guy belongs with his hand in the dirt. And, you know, we might only be seeing him as a situational pass rusher, which at this point I will absolutely take a situational pass rusher uh, you know, so it, we haven't had a pass rusher since uh, John Abraham. So we've been clearly we've been patient. And you know, if Zuniga can come on and uh, you know give us anything off the off the outside, then then that'll be a plus. So we got Glenn back on the line here. Glenn, how you doing? Good, good. Is this any better, guys? Crystal clear. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Crystal okay, clear. great. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so, uh, I, I have to apologize there, guys. I, I I went ahead and set this up, and then something came up last second, uh, an appearance I had to do, so uh, I had to call into this one late. But uh, thanks, thanks. We really appreciate you joining. Appreciate you joining us because, uh, as you know, as Jets fans, I don't I don't get. I mean, being in England, as full stop, I don't get to to watch a ton of college football. But um, me personally, didn't watch a ton of running backs because I didn't think the Jets would take one. And uh, as I, I said yesterday, Zuniga. Uh, he played so little that he was kind of wasn't really on my radar, um, but I, I don't want to have you repeat anything you've already said. But I, I guess my my question would be, in, in watching Zuniga myself, he, he does seem. They said he timed at a four six two. He looked to play much faster than that. No. Yeah, I think it is fair to say he plays faster than that. I mean, that to me, the thing that always stick, stuck out about him here at Florida when he was healthy was just how quick he 
he would get into the backfield. Uh, even this this past year's game against Georgia, before he had to leave it because he reaggravated the ankle. I mean, he made a huge play early in that game where he blew back into the backfield and was all over DeAndre Swift. I think before he right when he took the handoff and and that, you, you would see him make those uh, flash plays enough that you knew that if he could just stay healthy and do it throughout a whole season, that the stats were going to uh, pile up for him. And, uh, you know, now he's at a, a whole new level, as all these guys are. So I'm sure there's going to be a, a growth period, a transition period, where he'll have to make some adjustments. But I just think the the physical tools are there. And he, he's kind of a late bloomer. I mean, he didn't start playing high school football until he was a junior. He was a basketball player growing up. His father was the uh, college basketball player at Tulane uh, back in the day. So that was that was kind of his sport. But then he started just growing and, uh, you know, got into football. And obviously at Florida really developed his his body, uh, you know, as a defensive lineman. And, uh, you know, again, I just – I like his potential long-term uh, at the NFL level. Uh, and, you know, that raised a question in my mind. Um, now, we have heard that uh, Zuniga is absolutely exceptional when he's on the field but he has had some injury concerns. Now, I haven't done any deep diving into that, but can you touch upon, um, you know, specifically uh, why people are alluding to that? Well, he had, the, uh, he had one of those high ankle sprains this year. I don't, I don't think before this year there was really any major injury concerns uh, off the top of my head. I don't have his bio right in front of me. But this year, I mean, he was only on the field I want to say about 30% of the defensive snaps. I mean, it was not a lot. But he uh, he had a, one of his high ankle sprains at Kentucky. I think it was the third game of the year. And he missed a couple games. And he, he tried to come back, I think, a little early, earlier than he probably uh, should have because, you know, they had a the couple of big midseason games at LSU. And then, of course, the Georgia game, um, you know, with the, the way the season was working out. But then he re-aggravated it. And that sidelined him either further. And, you know, the uh, coaches, they always talk about these high ankle sprains. Those are those are tricky injuries because, I mean, especially for a guy who relies on, uh, you know, a burst right at the snap, if you don't have that uh, that kick at the start, I mean, you you can be negated from, for the rest of the play. And I think that's really what hurt him uh, this year. But I don't know that if I was a Jets fan, I'd be, you know, there's much more beyond that. Uh, that I know of, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, injury issues. Excellent. I mean, really, really good stuff that you've brought uh, here tonight. And, uh, Glenn, I'll throw it, throw it your way. Any other questions you, you want to ask, uh, Scott? No, no, I just want to thank him a lot, Scott. Listen, uh, I know uh, I dropped the ball this a couple times. It's, it's been a wild few days here between tech issues, and, and I think I think as I was messaging you last night, <laughs> I messaged you, and then I looked. And a few minutes later, they were gone. So I was like, I don't know if he's getting these. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then you messaged me this morning saying, hey, man, I got your messages at like 10 o'clock at night, which would have been, you know, 3 a.m. here. So thank you for not calling in then. Um, but, yeah, thanks for getting on. Sorry we had some issues. Uh, one night blog talk and one night my, my texts were just not getting to you. So much appreciated. And, listen, um, maybe have you on during the season if these guys are playing, playing well. Uh, playing poorly, and, and maybe the Jets take some more Gators next year. We'll have you on again. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, really, no problem, guys. I enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, it's like uh, I don't know uh, with with five guys now. I think that's the most of uh, any team in the league with Gators. So I'll be I'll be paying attention to the Jets. Uh, you guys take care and uh, take care of yourself. All right, you do the same. Thank Thanks, Scott. Scott. Be well. All right, bye bye. Okay. All right, Alex. Uh, let's go. Uh, we got. We we've got another caller on the line here. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff from Buffalo. You wanna you wanna pick that one up, Alex, or you want me to try to do that from here? Yes, indeed. And we're getting Jeff on the line right now. And Jeff, you are on the air. This is Alex and Glenn from Jet Nation. How are you? I'm good. Um, Jets are my favorite second uh, New York team. Yeah, Glenn kind of knows that. But um, my question is, maybe you guys have discussed this in a past episode. I haven't really started listening to you guys till now. How do you think the Brady moving to the Buccaneers is going to affect the Jets and the rest of the AFC East? I mean, listen, we, the, the rest of the AFC East has been waiting for this time for, for you know, 10, 15 years now. And uh, the division obviously is up for grabs. I, I think until, until Bill Belichick uh, proves that he's not capable the Patriots are still a threat in my mind. I, I just I can't get that. I, they don't have the quarterback right now, as far as we know. But but don't forget this team. The Patriots still won what eight, nine, ten games with when they had Matt Castle at quarterback. That guy hadn't started a game since high school, and he came in. They they almost made the playoffs um, when Brady went down, and they had a play, well not went down when Brady was suspended. Um, they won games with a young Jacoby Brissett, with a young Jimmy Garoppolo. So Belichick just seems to find a way. I mean, this really does feel like. There's no way he can win under these circumstances, right? He, nothing in, within reason. There's no no feasible answer why the Patriots should be able to win right now. So, but I would I won't write them off till they can really be written off. Uh, but right now, I think outside of the Patriots, as much as I hate to say it, Jeff, um, from top to bottom, your Bills right now are the better team in the division. Um, I think the Jets have the better quarterback, but Josh Allen has the better supporting cast. And we saw that last year. Buffalo made the playoffs. Um, and I think by going out and getting digs, you give yourself a target that's really not, not to pile on Josh Allen here, but it's the ideal target for him because he's so erratic. You can miss your throw by, you know, uh, you know a foot and a half, two, three feet, and Diggs is still going to snatch it out of the air. Um, so Buffalo right. got a lot better. I like their draft. I liked A.J. Epineza, um, really good player. And just a, a few of the players they got, it was really I, it kind of bothered me a little because they were players that I really liked. So I feel like Buffalo had a strong draft. I feel like they have their defense. They're they're basically like the the, the early Rex Ryan Jets. They have a a very erratic quarterback who can't be counted on to to complete sort of more than fifty five percent. But their defense is so good, and they get better with Epineza. The offense gets better with Diggs. That the, the talent around him is good enough to win the division. So I I think. Honestly, if I had to bet, I would say Buffalo. But uh, over the next couple of years, if the Jets put enough talent together, I do feel like I would take Sam Darnold 10 times out of 10 over Josh Allen. What, what are your thoughts there, Alex? Yeah, I, I agree uh, with what, everything that you said, more or less. Um, I never thought the day would come uh, where Tom Brady would actually leave uh, the division. Uh, it just seemed like, you know, he – with his, you know, avocado, in, you know, infused diet, or he was just going to play till he was 50 years old. Um, so, you know, this is a, a progress. This is a step, um, a good step for us here. You know, he's now down south in the NFC. Um, 
don't have to worry about them, so that's a good thing. But I, I do agree with Glenn's take. Uh, you know, the the team that I see right now that's ready to take over this this uh, comp or this division uh, is the Buffalo Bills. Um, you guys have been pretty aggressive as far as acquiring talent for uh, Josh Allen, and you always seem to uh, prioritize defense. And you guys had a phenomenal defense last year, and the fact that you guys brought in you know Epinesa this year. Um, and, you know, you guys have probably, some, compared to the Jets, you know, at this point with your cornerback play uh, as a whole, maybe stronger than our defensive group. Um, and then, you know, that's saying a lot because we think very highly of Jamal Adams. So um, definitely concerned about what Buffalo is going to bring to the, to the table this year. And it's not going to be as easy as a, as a walk for us. You know, our battles have always been good with Buffalo, but I'm really, really concerned that, you know, um, you know, if we break even against you guys one and one, I think that's that's success for us. Because um, I'm definitely concerned that you guys might beat us twice this year. And I'll tell you, you look at the, you look at Buffalo's draft class. Really, Zach Moss, good player as a running back, and uh, two receivers that I like. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins. I talked a lot, quite a bit about him leading up to the draft. Uh, he's one player that I hope the Jets might grab late. And uh, Gabriel Davis, another guy who really you add these guys to what Buffalo already has and. They're they're putting together some decent depth on offense, again, behind Allen, who is, as I said, an erratic guy, um, much stronger arm than what the Jets had years ago in Mark Sanchez, but he is that still on that kind of uh, – on, on that same plateau as a guy who, you know, what, what guy are you going to get from week to week? Um, he's got a howitzer back there, but he's going to overthrow guys, he's going to underthrow guys. And he's going to have to. You're going to have to have talent around him that's good enough to beat quality teams. And Buffalo oh, yeah. right now has enough talent to beat quality teams. And we saw that last year. And and as we said, you you add Epineza, you add Moss, you add Davis, um, you add Hodgins. These are at least in my, in my estimation, these are guys that I really like leading up to the draft. And I think uh, Buffalo right now, right. As, as much as I say you can't count Bill Belichick out, I still don't know if we know if the Patriots quarterback is on their roster. But uh, I'll, I'll count the Pats out. You know, we, we can make fun of them all we want. We can say how much we hate them. But Belichick is still Belichick. And until another team in the AFC East proves they can beat him, then you have to assume he's going to win it. Thanks, guys. I haven't, if I can, another question. How do you think Brady's going to do in Tampa without Belichick? I, well, I mean, you look at the weapons. It's hard to envision it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in that camp that said, you know whether or not Brady's done. I don't know. I probably, you know, I probably said that a couple times just to tweak some people. But um, he he undoubtedly poor weapons or not. Um, I, I never saw more off-target throws from Brady than I did sort of middle of last season, and that's when I thought, okay, this is this bears watching because we've heard in the past, is he done? Is he done? Is he done? But he never really looked done um, until last mm-hmm. year. There were so many bad throws, like on on a level that you never like most quarterbacks play that way. You say, oh, the guy's in a slump. But Brady, three, four, five, six games in a row where he just looked not just mortal, he just didn't look good. Um, you know, you may have bad receivers, but, you, you know, you're still overthrowing guys by four or five yards. However, that being said, the weapons that they've surrounded him with in Tampa, um, I think the biggest thing is going to be, and this might hurt Brady, if there is no, if we don't have OTAs, if we don't have training camp, Brady's not going to have the time to work with his Because here's what makes Brady great or what's made Brady great over the last few years. And people like to knock him and, oh, look, 
All of his completions are three yards and four yards and five yards. That's because the guy's brains. The guy, he gets under center, he looks at the defense, and he knows what the defense is going to do. And he'll tell Julian Edelman or whoever or Gronk or tell him where to go. And that's why you constantly see these guys making – they're wide open. And everyone knocks Brady for it. Oh, how hard was that throw? I could make that throw. Well, the reason Brady can make that throw is because he told the, he put the guy in that spot. So Brady still has the brains. You know, he said himself a couple of years ago, I feel like I have the answers to the test now. I've had so many reps. I've done this so many times. I look at the defense. I know what they're going to do. And he puts guys right. in position where they're going to be open. Now, you look at the receivers Tampa has. If he puts those guys in position where they're wide open, and if he's only hitting them three, five, seven, eight, twelve 12 yards down the field, he's still hitting them. And, and Brady, he, he does a great job of putting the ball, we see it time and again, putting the ball where only his guys can get it. And it drives you crazy when you're the defense because it, you, you watch him and you feel, like, you feel like he's not doing anything your plumber couldn't do. You know, oh, look, he threw it four right. yards at the guy's ankles. Yeah, he threw it four yards in a spot where there was nobody but his receiver and in a spot where only right. his receiver could get it. So in Tampa, don't write them off. I know I have yeah, a lot I definitely of family agree that lives down. I have a lot of family that lives down in Tampa, and even before I moved back up here to Buffalo recently, a lot of Buccaneers fans are saying it's a, it's a given that Buccaneers are going to go to the Super Bowl and win. I hope they're all wrong. Well, listen, Ooh, we right. all, you know we you all know, do. I, um, I mean, I'm not as worried. You know, I, I'm more concerned with the with the AFC East. But uh, I think Brady and Tampa with Gronk, with Godwin, uh, they got some players there, man. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Brady's got another run in him. Uh, you know, he wants to win like hell and prove that he was the guy that made it work in New England. And the same goes for Belichick. So those guys are both going to be as motivated as they've ever been. Nice. Thank you guys for taking my questions. Uh, keep in touch, guys, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Have a good one. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for calling in. Be well. Bye-bye. All right. So, um, Alex, missed you last night. Uh, crazy week, man. I don't. I, I haven't even had time to tell you. Tried to do a show Sunday. It crapped out. Uh, did a show Monday. Got like uh hour and 45 minutes into the damn show, and it crapped out again. So, uh had to had to do another one last night, but it just didn't feel right. I wanted you there to get your takes. It's a big show. It's it's the draft recap, you know. I want to know what you think. Uh, bounce my thoughts off of you and just kind of go back and forth. Um, and we had some miscommunication last night with you know with both our guests, but uh, Dominique Davis was the other guy who was supposed to call in last night. He's uh, I've, we've texted back and forth a few times, so I'm expecting him to uh, to call in about. Uh, 10, 15 minutes. I don't know if you saw, Alex, if you had a chance to watch anything. And I mentioned last night, not a lot of footage out there on a guy who played at such a small school. But um, uh, listen, uh, Dominique Davis is a guy that you watch. And, and for me anyway, you kind of get a feel early on. You're like, okay, this is why the Jets like this guy. Uh, bigger guy, listed at 215, or sorry, 315. I'm going to ask him when he comes on what he's actually at because we know that some of these colleges, you know, they uh, they put numbers that might be a couple years old on there. Uh, but explosive, the you know, watching him, watching him shed blockers, get into the backfield, uh, grab and basically, you know, ragdoll these running backs, drive them into the ground. 
he, he was doing, and I said this on last night's show, kind of doing what you expect. Like if you're, a, if you're an NFL prospect, even if you're just on an NFL radar and you're playing at a smaller school, you, you should be the best guy on the field. And he was by far um, from what I saw. Uh, from Laurenburg, North Carolina, D lineman, and I, you know, I talked Alex, you know, over the last few years with the Jets, whether it's undrafted guys or late round guys, it's one area where the Jets have had some success finding players. Whether it's you know Kyle Phillips and and uh, Fullerunzo Fadakasi recently, or you go back to Snacks Harrison, these guys are their sixth, seventh round picks or undrafted guys, and uh, the undrafted class is fun. I always enjoy that. I always enjoy that, but. But we, we've got a little bit of time, and then we, we, we have, uh, we've booked for a fairly long show tonight. So what, what are your thoughts, Alex? Give me, give me ten minutes to break down your thoughts on the draft. We'll, uh, we'll interview Dominique, and then we'll, uh, we'll get back to the draft after that. What did you like? What yep. did you hate? Give us your take. Um, all right. So uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I really, really liked with uh, the draft um, in, as a whole. Um, we filled a lot of needs. Uh, we plugged a lot of holes uh, for starter positions, which I, which I feel was definitely beneficial. You know, we talked about um, prior to the draft about at what point do we negate this best player available? Because sometimes the best player available could be like a D tackle or you know a, a running back or a tight end, like something that we may not need. So I kind of felt that even though he'll tell you that was the best player available on their board at that pick, we can definitely tell that they steered away from the BPA to get the guys that they wanted. And, you know, that may be the reason why they feel that's their BPA. As you know, in the third round, I thought it was going to be, you know, another offensive lineman or perhaps another wide receiver for Sam um, you know, I was still on the offensive uh, train at that point. So the third round was a curveball. Um, and that's pretty much as far as I got before our fallers came in. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about Beckton. I talked a little bit about, about Mims. And then I started to get into our third round guys. So, you know, it started out really great um, night one and night two. Um, you know, curveball was thrown with that Ashton Davis pick. Uh, but after, you know, assessing it, taking a step back, looking at the roster, thinking about the secondary, how we still need to improve, you know, as a whole, just not in specific areas. And, you know, I'd mentioned that it was almost uh, very alarming for, for certain Jets fans when they had mentioned that they drafted a safety when I feel that he is more of a defensive back. And having a versatile player like that where you can kind of plug and play in different positions is definitely the a Greg Williams theme. So this is definitely a William Greg Williams guy. And as far as I'm concerned, if he's good in his mind and he feels that he can find a role for him to contribute on our defense and be a playmaker, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, I, I really am. Um, you know, as far as people being concerned about Jamal, I had mentioned that I don't think Jamal's in jeopardy. Um, I, I would be concerned about Marcus May and Brian Poole though for next year. Uh, because both their contracts um, are done at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, we don't know, uh, you know, how much money we're going to have on the table to extend, you know, to bring back both these guys. Um, it could very well be that Davis replaces one of the two of them. So um, definitely interesting in that. Um, we needed pass rush help, so the Zaniga pick works. Um, you know, as Scott had, had kind of agreed with me on my take, after looking at him only a few games, 
I kind of came away that this guy's more of a defensive end than an edge player. Um, Cause we kind of feel that like with edge, you have to be, you have to do all three things. You have to be able to, you know, be sound against the run game. Um, you should be able to pass rush and get after the quarterback and cause havoc in the backfield. And you have to be able to pass rush in a two point stance and drop back into coverage every now and again. Didn't really see Zuniga come off on a two-point stance that much, so I was hand in the dirt a lot, and I didn't see him drop back into coverage much. So I still need to watch more film on him, but just the little bit that I saw, um, that's how I, kind of how I came away with him. And, you know, the trenches is where the games are won and lost. So um, definitely makes sense for to me that, you know, glad that they didn't do the defensive line early in the draft. They did it in the middle. So, again, if this guy's going to be a situational pass rusher, I'm happy. Um, and then, you know, the following, you know, just to wrap it up here with the way I feel at the, the back end of the draft, uh, everyone was very skeptical about the quarterback position uh, or backup quarterback position, I should say. Uh, so now it seems that we have a prospect that we can work. We don't have to uh, rely on David Fails um, in the event that something happens to Darnold again, you know, knock on wood here. Um, LaMichael Le, Le, Le Piron. Um, very, very good back. Uh, you know, the fourth round. I, you know, I know you feel that it was a little too early. Um, I kind of feel that what was left on the table, he was probably one of the better guys to go get at that point. Um, and it was interesting because a lot of people had thought the Jets were in love with McFarland, and he was on the board at that time, and they decided to go with the Florida Gator instead. So that was definitely interesting uh, to see that. And, you know, I think that he has a significant role somewhere down the line because um, you know that, um, you know, Bell's contract is uh, set up in a particular way where we have options next year. So I could totally see him being our number one back next year. Um, and then, you know, to close out the draft, um, you know, we we talked about this and we thought it was crazy at the end of the show. I said, will the Jets go out and get a punter? And, you know, you and I both went back and we had a good laugh about that. And they actually did it. Um, because they hadn't signed Lachlan Edwards. Um, we didn't have a punter on the roster at the current point in time, and apparently we got the best one out of college football with a 51-yard average. And if anybody saw uh, Pat McAfee's uh, little video, um, where he yeah, did a little – awesome, um, Oh, my God, I had such a good time with that. I must have watched it like five or six different times. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sent it to all my Jets fans, friends. I was like, in case you haven't seen this. Yeah. I mean, when are we ever I know, I, excited I, I about I said Kicker, yesterday that, you know. Yeah, I've, I've never, I, I saw somebody say uh, yesterday, and it made me laugh, like it was a, a conversation on the on the forums at JetNation.com, which if you're not signed up, sign up. Uh, JetNation.com, most active message board on the Internet, Jets message board. Um, someone on the board said, I, I can't wait for our first three and out. <laughs> it's like you really can't. Like I, I want to see this guy <laughs> boom the ball, you know, 65 yards down the field, you know from the Jets' own, like, 10, 15-yard line and pin the other team inside their five. Um, it really I, – I, when they took him, I thought, oh, Jesus, a punter. You know, but again, and I said on the show yesterday, full disclosure, I did little to no homework on safeties, and I did little to no homework on punters and kickers because I feel like those are guys the Jets just always grab at the last minute before camp. And they're always – like, this year was a disaster at kicker, but really the three, four, five, six years before that – Nick Folk, last-minute signing. Catanzaro, the first time around, last-minute signing. Uh, who, whoever the hell they had after that, I can't even remember. Last-minute signing. For the, for the last, and they were all fine. 
until this year. This was the first year it bit him in the ass um, that, that the kicker position was not good. Um, so, but even then, I was like, oh, they'll just grab somebody at the last minute. They'll sign a couple guys, bring in a, some camp legs, and somebody will pan out. Um, and then I see them draft a punter, and I was like, oh, damn it. He wasted a pick on a punter. There's still good receivers on the board. <laughs> and I watch him, and I'm like, this guy might be the best punter, you know, uh, in, in, in the team's ever had since I – I don't know if you saw the stat on him, Alex. He uh, he set the record last year in college for uh, punts over 60 yards. He had 14 punts over 60 yards. That's insane. Yep, I did see that. <laughs> Normally, yeah, when a guy gets a 60 yarder, it's like it's like a 48 yarder that takes a lucky bounce and it rolls, and you get you get a couple of those a year, maybe. You get you get them nearly one a game, or better than one a game. That's not a fluke. That is because you are capable of kicking the damn ball 60 yards. So, yeah, I, I don't remember a time in my life I was ever excited about a punter, but I'm, I'm right up there, man. I'm like, I want to I see the – I want that three and out. I want to see the guy boom the ball. Yeah, I'll just tell you from personal experience um, on, on my days on the field, uh, which is, you know, nothing, you know, on a competition level. But I did have to do punt return duties, and I hated that with a passion especially a guy that can, you know, hit a moon rock and you're just staring, waiting and listening to the footsteps of people coming to trample you. So, you know, it's definitely not fun for the returner when you have a punter like that, that's going to, you know, put the ball in the air for a good three and a half to four seconds. And, you know, we've got a lot of speed on our, our team and special teams. And when you got those gunners coming down the seams looking to, uh, you know, take somebody's head off, uh, our special team should be a lot of fun, um, which is, uh, you know, a very, very good thing. You know, apparently this was a Brant Boyer guy. So, you know, Joe Douglas did a, you know, a little bit for everybody. Um, you know, he got Gase a tackle and a wide receiver, a backup quarterback and a running back. Uh, you know, he got Boyer, his, uh, his punter, um, you know, pretty exciting guy from, from what we've heard and read and seen. And, uh, you know, he went out and got a couple of defensive guys for, uh, for Greg Williams as well. So it looks like everybody, um, you know, got somebody out of this draft that, that they're really, really excited about. So um, I think they did a really, really good draft. Um, you know, like, of course, um, you know, as you and I had talked about, I wanted at least two uh, wide receivers and maybe three offensive linemen. Um, you wanted three wide receivers, and I'm sure that – I wanted three, especially um, if they added screening. The fact that they got the ten picks and didn't take three receivers really, I was not, I was not cool Oof. with that. That was not, that was not a good deal. No, I mean, there's but just have, so much see, talent. I want to go back to the punter real quick, Braden Man, Alex. Yeah. Have you seen this thing online? Um, there were like three punting prospects doing a, a competition. I don't know where it was. You know, they weren't in pads or anything. They were just out on a, a field somewhere. There were a bunch of kids there watching. Do um, you have a chance to watch this thing? No, I no, I haven't. I'll I'll send it to you. I just found. It. I'll send it to you right now. Um, really, you don't even have to watch it. All you need to know is they they punted like six, seven, eight times each. Uh, Braden Mann, like I said, and two other guys. Um, Braden Mann's his, Braden Mann's shortest punt was um, forty six yards. That was his shortest, and I want to say his longest was like it was either sixty seven, or I, I want to say he had one in the seventies. I want to say he had like a seventy three yarder. Um, which is just wow. absolutely nuts. Um, and again, let let this guy go out there and and pin a team inside the five, you know, punting from the Jets' own red zone. That I mean, that that's that's 
You talk about flip the field. That's about as good as it gets right there. So uh, I'm excited to see the guy. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you that video. It's uh, really something else to watch. But uh, oh, what yeah. are your thoughts on Cameron Clark, Alex? Yeah. Cameron Clark, for me, my favorite, uh, my favorite pick in this class that was not, you know, not one of the top two. And, uh, and it's, it's tough to say with, uh, with Bryce Hall because he, he's got to be a favorite because, you know, you're talking about a first-round guy who uh, – a projected first, second-round guy who you got in round five. But I'm going to cut myself off there because, Alex, it looks like if you want to grab that on the line, I believe we have Dominique Davis calling in the uh, Jets' undrafted free agent defensive lineman. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, let's get him on the air. Uh, Dominic, are you are you there? You are live on Jet Nation Radio. Yes, sir. How y'all doing? Doing good, mm-hmm. doing good, Dominic. Thanks well, thank so much you. for joining us. Uh, I know we had a, we had a, a couple miscommunications. That was my fault. I apologize for that. Glad to finally get you on and, and just give Jets fans an opportunity to know you a little bit better. Um, I said at the top that you're a guy that, you know, coming from a small school, not a ton of footage of you out there. But uh, but what is out there, the, the highlight reels, you really clearly a dominant force um, playing at UNC Pembroke. Um, was was there – did you – I would imagine you had some opportunities to play at some other schools, but my understanding is you wanted to stay close to home. Is that correct? Yes, sir. That's definitely what it was. Um, when, uh, I transferred from Shaw University. Uh, I went there. I really didn't like it. So I ended up coming back close to home. And um, attended UNCP, and it just happened from there. And uh, Dominique, so so a a, a local North Carolina guy, and I got to say, sidetrack just for a second. Uh, anyone who hasn't had a chance to visit the Carolinas, highly highly recommended. North Carolina, love it. South Carolina, love it. Durham, Charleston, mm-hmm. such a great part of the country, great part of the world, love it out there. So uh, anyone who hasn't had the chance, absolutely take that opportunity. So my understanding, Dominique, a lot of uh, quite a few NFL teams came through there, uh, came through UNCP to, to take a look at you early on. Um, but the Jets were one of the earlier teams in the process. Is that correct? And do do you recall the first time they they got in touch with you and and how what what kind of feeling you got from the Jets? Uh, yes, sir. Uh, probably um, during earlier during the season and stuff like that. I had probably at least twenty eight and twenty eight out of the thirty two teams come see me in person. Uh, the, re- the other, re- the rest of them had hit me via e- email or whatever, but, um, like, uh, the Jets gave me a home feel. I really liked them. I liked the way they talked. And I also like their defensive scheme. I feel like it fits me perfectly. So, um, I feel like it would be a great transition for me coming from Pembroke. It's kind of similar in the scheme. So, I feel like it would be a good look for me. And that, that that leads me to ask, what, what what do you feel? I know I know that when you know when you get these young rookie players that are hungry, um, that, that want to play, they just they'll jump in anywhere. They want to put you anywhere on the line, anywhere on the field, you'll, you'll jump in. But where do you feel like you're most effective? What type of scheme um, are you more of a? You know, do you, do you feel more comfortable being a four man front, a three man front? Uh, what, what do you feel like your strengths are? Man, uh, it's, it's pretty hard to say because. Yeah, like you said, like when you were Ricky coming in, you would be wherever they put you at. So honestly, I, I really feel like I'm a uh, I'm, I'm a true three tech, but I feel like I can dominate even more in those because of my first step. 
my speed, quickness, uh, how big I am, my strength. I really feel like that would be a good spot for me. But it's to wherever they put me at, they use me at, man. I'm going to get my all 100%. Now, have you, have yeah, you so had I'm a chance? Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I just wanted to, to get a question, you know, because a lot of people um, don't have an understanding about, you know, the technique positions and, um, you know, what a player has to do in the trenches like that. Um, can you give any, you know, hindsight on, on the type of technique that, that you find uh, will be effective and and how you're going to be able to use that at the next level? Um, as, a, as a technique, do you mean like my position or the actual technique that I use? Like the technique that you use, like what do you do to win against the man that's in front of you? Um, I definitely uh, study my opponent, man. I really study my opponent and see, like, where's their weaknesses. And if his weaknesses, he can't defeat my speed. That's what I'm going to use. I'm, I'm, I'm going to abuse him with that. And, um, you know, I'm going to probably switch it up sometime. I'll probably use a little bit more power moves because, you know, most guys my size aren't really – Strong and uh, you know use finesse moves or have quickness like I do. So I try to mix them up here and there. I like to have a lot of variety. So I don't like being one dimensional. So that's one thing I definitely want to prove and show to everybody that I'm definitely not just a one dimensional type of guy. Yeah, and that was one thing that jumped out to me, Dominique, uh, watching uh, watching with 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 the the film I was able to find online. Um, really good job, really good hand usage, the way you were able to, to, you know, prevent guys from getting their hands on you. And w- when guys did, you did a good job of, you know, peeking into the backfield, and you didn't seem to have a lot of trouble with, with shedding blockers and, and getting to, to running backs in the backfield or at the line of scrimmage. Um, so is, is there any – at what point did you, did you start to develop sort of multiple moves? Because I, I know you've, I've, I've found some interviews with you online, and – you just said it now, you're a big student, you like to sit and, you know, you feel like you stress the importance of watching film and knowing what your opponent wants to do. But 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 at what point do you feel like it started to come together for you where where the film study and, and the physical attributes on the field kind of elevated your game? Honestly, man, uh, I've been really doing this since high school. It's been trained. Uh, my coach, Coach Burnett, um at Scotland High School, he, he was really the one that, that really pinned that into it, so studying film, you know, it makes the game easier, you know. That's how you last longer in the game, knowing your opponent, instead of just going out there blind. So, um, honestly, my size just came along, and as my size and stuff came along, and I had the smarts and to go along with it, it was just, uh, it was really good for me. Uh, so when was it, uh, you know, when you were going through this process and um, when did it kind of hit to you that, you know, you have what it takes to go to the NFL on the next level? Honestly, man, I really, I've really been training for this moment. Like, you know, since high school, you know, a lot of people probably didn't believe in me, of course, especially when you go to a D2 school, you know, it's, it's always been a high side, but, you know, I, I try to stay humble. So I definitely stay humble. I am humble. I definitely stay humble as much as possible. And, um, I just probably around it hit me probably these couple of days, you know, not really realizing like I'm actually going to, you know, play along NFL people that I, I see on TV, you know, I'll follow on social media. That's probably when it hit me. Like, you know, I'm, probably, I'm now one of those guys. So that was like a, a big eye opener for me. 
Now, have you had the opportunity to speak with Greg Williams at all yet, the uh, the Jets D coordinator? And and do you have any idea what what the off season is going to be like with 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 the COVID thing and teams saying it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of virtual stuff like that? Any any idea with that? Uh, no, uh, no, sir. I haven't uh, talked to Greg Williams yet. And, um, right now, it's um, I think everybody's going to miss the sign of the contract and league rules. You can't really do too much right now, so um, I really don't have an idea. I know everybody's aiming points towards July, but you know we, we really don't know when it's going to go down, or go away. So, um, yeah, that's one information I'm going off right now. And so, so before we let you go, and we just want to really thank you, Dominique, for joining us. Uh, much appreciated. Um, again, small school guy, you know, the kind of the, the the those guys always have have that longer road to tread. The undrafted guys, but but a lot of times you see that those guys are the players that tend to be a little bit hungrier because they know that you know this team didn't spend a pick on me, so I got to work that much harder than the next guy. Um, what, what's your message to Jet fan to Jets fans in terms of? Uh, how you plan on approaching this season? I know I, I can say that when we initially tried to set this up, you basically said to me, "I'm gonna be working out all day. I'm at the gym all day constantly, so we'll have to do later in the day." Which I loved. I thought that was great. Um, but mm-hmm. but what, what's your message to Jets fans in terms of your approach to this and 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 how where you hope to see this go? Man, I appreciate the opportunity and the love and support I've been getting from the fans and stuff. You know, being an undrafted free agent, I didn't think you would even get that. You know. So uh, what I'm bringing, you know, I'm just bringing 100% effort. I'm bringing that dog mentality, man. You know, I'm trying to really uh, elevate my game and, and dominate. You know, I want to be one of the best. That's one, that's why I got my eyes on right now. That's my goal. So I'm definitely going to open up a lot of people's eyes. All right, Dominique, thanks so much for joining. We're going we're gonna to go on the, uh, the the Jet Nation Twitter, my Twitter, Alex's Twitter, and uh, and shoot out some of those highlight films so uh, Jets fans can get a, kind of get a look at your game. And we look forward to seeing it on the field. So thanks so much for joining us. Yes, sir. Appreciate appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Have a good night. All right. So there's a Jets undrafted free agent defensive lineman Dominic Davis. And I'll tell you what, Alex. Um, like I said, small school guy. Not a lot. Not a lot out there on him, um, which is a little bit frustrating because I know that those of us who are you know, as obsessed with this team as we are. We like to watch as much as we can of these players. Um, but the guy, it's its tough to say because of the level of competition. I mean, he really is. You go watch these highlights, he is ragdolling people to where you think, my goodness, like he's just such a cut above in terms of the competition. But as I said, I heard some interviews with him, you know, once we got him booked here, I went back and, and tried to find anything I could on him uh, previously that he had done. And he mentions that, you know, he started out at Shaw, but he just his priority, he wanted to be close to home, um, you know, during his, his college years. So he did that. He transferred to a small school near his home, and he just absolutely dominated. And, you know, as I said, you look at guys like Snacks Harrison, you look at guys like Kyle Phillips, you look at guys like, like uh, Fadakasi, these, these – and, again, I guess Fadakasi is more reminiscent, and I forgot to ask him what he was weighing in at – but the dude just – he just comes – you look at him and you think, this guy's strong as hell. Um, is some of that a product of playing against smaller guys? Could be. But you absolutely see the tools, the quickness, when he's able to shed blocks and fire into a hole and, and take a linebacker down. He does it with, a, with, a, with great quickness. So you can see the tools are definitely there for this guy to succeed. Um, and whether it's as a guy who makes the roster or ends up on a practice squad, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. 
I, I think the uh, the uh, for me anyway, everybody loves rooting for the undrafted guy. You know, he, he's the closest thing to like an everyman regular dude who shouldn't. You know, obviously, thirty-two teams felt the guy wasn't good enough to be drafted, and you want to root for the guy to make it. So he's one more guy for the list. And uh, and on that note, Alex, the undrafted free agent class. What what are your thoughts? Have you have you had a chance to look? Do you have any favorites? Do you have anyone that you think is a waste of a even a preseason roster space? What do you think there? Um, out of everybody, um, the only players that I'm familiar with was uh, Shaheem Carter, uh, Lamar Jackson out of Nebraska, and uh, Bryce Huff out of Mich- uh, Memphis. Uh, those were the three players that I had got to see prior, um, you know, as I was just going through, um, you know, kind of what I would do when I'm doing my film stuff here is like pick a position group and then just look at a handful of guys, do a little reading, see who intrigues me and then go to YouTube and see what I could find. And, uh, you know, Huff just kind of kept coming up on my, my queue when I wasn't paying attention. And, um, you know, from what, what I saw out of Bryce Huff was there's some dog in him. And, um, you know, he's listed as a linebacker, but he had his hand in the dirt a lot. Sometimes he'd actually go with a four-point stance, which I don't really mind because it just looks like someone's ready to just, you know, unhinge and explode off the line of scrimmage and just cause some havoc. So um, you could tell that, you know, uh, certain plays he would uh, kind of just be so energetic and and burst off the line and then kind of take himself out of the play um, if it was going away from him. So, you know, discipline and, you know, learning how to – you know, adjust to, to certain lineups and, you know, whatever the offense is showing you, you know, obviously there's going to be a learning curve. But, uh, yeah, Bryce Huff probably stood out to me the most out of uh, everybody that, you know, on this list of UDFAs that they brought in. And very interesting to see how they, the, the position that they brought in the most of was cornerback. Um, and that's something that I mentioned earlier is that Joe Douglas has prioritized, obviously, you know, the offensive line and getting Sam targets but also there seems to be a little bit more of an emphasis on the defensive back group, especially cornerback position, because, you know, last year there was a lot of turnover, um, a lot of bodies in and out of the lineup. So it just kind of seems like they're bringing in a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of talent right now to see who's going to be, you know, the best, you know, because at this point I think we know that Pierre Desir and Brian Poole, our, our starters on this position right now. And I want to think that that number two and number four, and number five spot are up for grabs. And with all these bodies that they have in here, um, it hopefully turns out to, uh, you know, having the strongest defensive backfield that we can put forward. And what are you, what are your thoughts, Alex? Um, I, I, I kind of gave my impression last night and I'm still torn. I still, I still don't know what to think of the move the Jets make with their final pick, instead of making a pick, mm. they trade for Quincy Wilson. Yeah. So he, yeah. here's what I'm seeing. And I just may, – listen, maybe it happened. I just – sometimes when I see something that's too good to be true, i got to take a step back and question it, say this, this doesn't sound right. So everyone says Quincy Wilson, the Colts traded him because he wasn't a fit for their scheme. Uh, before they changed schemes to two years prior – he was a solid corner, like a starting-level corner. Um, he wasn't a regular starter, but when he did play, people are saying he showed that he has the tools to start. Now, that's entirely possible, 
but it sounds too good to be true because I'm thinking, why would a team like the Colts, who have a respected front office, why would they trade a starting-level corner for pick 211, even if he doesn't fit their scheme? Listen, if you have a player, whether it's a corner or a guy in your front seven, and you're like, man, this guy is a starting-caliber player in a system that we don't run, wouldn't you call a team that runs that system and say, we need a third for this guy, or we need a fourth for this guy? To say, we need pick 211 for this guy? That sounds an awful lot like we just don't think this guy can play. You don't give a guy away for pick 211 if you think he can play. But then you look at the fact that Rex Hogan was in Indy the last couple of years, saw this guy up close and personal. So you've got to figure he's in, you know, he's in that room with Joe Douglas. Well, not this year. He's not in the room with Joe Douglas. But he's telling Joe Douglas, go get this guy. He can play. Because, um, again, even at 211, there were players on the board, whether you want to say receivers, interior linemen, there were guys who may have been more valuable than Wilson. Is it possible the Colts just said, yeah, what the hell, and gave away a starting caliber corner for pick 211 because they're going zone and he's better suited for a press man scheme? Um, yeah, that can, that can definitely uh, be the case in that matter. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it, it kind of seems like, you know, this is uh very very similar to I forgot what year was it 2018 draft maybe uh, where they where they traded for Henry Anderson and um, you know it's like things didn't work out for Henry but then when he came here it just everything or maybe it was 2017 draft um, but uh, it just kind of seemed like we're taking somebody that didn't work out in their system and then it worked in ours and I'm not sure if that's going to be yeah, the same and that, and situation that, I, here I, I, I don't I don't I don't mean to cut you off, Alex. That That is something that, that yeah. was brought to my attention, and I understand that. I guess I just feel like an interior D lineman, just from a positional value standpoint, um, you know, we're not mm. talking Aaron Donald. We're talking about a good interior D lineman. Um, just doesn't hold the same value that a guy that you look at and feel he can be a starting corner. Um, you know, he yeah. was a second-round pick just three years ago. Yep. So, just, listen, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying the guy can't play. I don't want people to think, oh, Glenn, you're saying this is a dumb trade. I'm saying I have a hard time believing that a good front office traded a starting caliber corner for close to nothing, and I hope they did. I hope this dude steps in and he's a 10-year starter and he gets a long – all that. Um, you know, sometimes I think people take uh, even just questioning a move as, why do you hate this guy? Why do you hate this move? I'm just curious. Like, why would you do that? Listen, I'd be pissed off. If Joe Douglas or Mike McCain, if any Jets GM was sitting on a starting caliber corner and they said, well, he doesn't fit our scheme, so we're going to give him away, I'd be pissed off. That's an asset in the NFL. You know, much like uh, Bill yeah. Parcells, I felt like he gave away Hugh Douglas years ago. Hugh Douglas was a sack master. Parcells didn't like him. Oh, he's, he's a 4-3 he's a, a DN. We're going 3-4. We're going to give him away. Uh, what, second and a fourth, second and a fifth, whatever they got for him. So uh, I'm not saying he won't be a player, um, and I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I meant to address that with my initial point, I guess, was that I understand that did happen with Henry Anderson. But interior D lineman or 3-4 DN, far less value, in my opinion, than a starting corner. Sorry, continue, Alex. I cut you off. I oh, yeah, know. absolutely. I, I definitely agree with that. And, um, you know, what's interesting about it is, like, Henry Anderson came in, did phenomenal under Todd Bowles' scheme. And then last year, we know that he was banged up a little bit early on. But he was kind of 
you know, an afterthought. Um, didn't really see a lot of flashy plays coming out of Henry Anderson last year. So, you know, who knows, uh, you know, was it the rotation? Was it the scheme? It could be anything. Uh, it could be the injury. We don't really know. Uh, but what we do know is that Greg Williams was able to take and plug and play cornerbacks and, and kind of run, you know, a little bit of a varied zone scheme to, to keep up, you know, keep our defense, you know, pretty tough. Um, you know, we didn't run a lot of man coverage last year because we didn't have the, the guys to do that. We didn't have the talent to do so. So Greg Williams kind of coached up his guys and, and played them to what they do best and, you know, put players in, in the right position so that they wouldn't get exposed. Um, and I kind of feel that, you know, we saw that with James Burgess. We saw that with Bless Austin. Um, you know, we saw that with, uh, you know, Neville Hewitt at certain times. Um, so, yeah, you know, he, he's gotten a lot out of players. He, he squeezed a lot of juice out of these guys. And, you know, if there's any juice to be squeezed out of Wilson, you know, if anybody's going to figure it out, it might be Greg Williams. But, you know, here's the downside that I, that I feel about that trade is that he's on, I believe, his last year of his rookie contract. Um, so we just basically, you know, gave a sixth-round pick, which would have been a four-year, really, really cheap deal for a brand-new guy between 20 to 22 years old. So, you know, we got somebody that's a little bit older, not too old. Um, I think he's like 23 years old or something like that. So really not that bad. Um, but if he ends up working out and he ends up becoming a contributor, uh, clearly the move um, will, you know, will be talked about for years on, on how smart he was to do that. But if Wilson doesn't work out, it's a little, you know, you don't really want to give away, even though they're six-round picks. It's, it's all about getting those rookie deals and, and those lucrative contracts to where you're not um, handcuffed to a lot of money. And if the guy doesn't really work out, um, you know, you can cut ties and you really won't be losing too much dead money because there's not enough, not a lot of money on the table for these rookies. So, you know, you can look at it both ways. And, you know, I get your, you know, being on the fence with this scenario too. Um, you know, I just kind of think of it of him trying to throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Um and, you know, maybe it works out to uh, better quarterback play this year. So, you know, that, that's definitely something. Yeah, and, and, and which I said, you know, I said yesterday, I, I can't knock it because when you look at, if you look at the fact that the guy had two quality seasons before dropping off last year, which is everything I'm reading is, is saying that, um, then you, it's worth rolling the dice because when you look statistically, um, guys that are taken in round six, round seven, they generally don't last long. So even if you get a guy who's shown he can play well for a year or two, you're kind of you're ahead of the curve a little bit. You're like, okay, we know this guy isn't a disaster, which many sixth and seventh round guys are. We know this guy isn't going to show within a year or two that he doesn't belong in the league. Because after two years, Wilson looked all right. Then last year they switched schemes, and he was a disaster. So they give him away for pick two eleven. I hope it was a coup. I hope the Jets. I hope he's a starter for years to come. Um, I actually read earlier. I forget. I think it was USA Today, saying that uh, his best performance to date came when there was an injury and he was called upon to come in and cover Travis Kelsey for a full game, and did a really good job. Held him to like two catches for a few yards, and fine, good. Kelsey's a hell of a player. If you can lock him down for a full game, you're doing something right. So maybe maybe something comes of it. Maybe he'll be a starter. But I, I just think it's premature. I've, I've seen a lot of fans say, oh, my God, we just got a starting corner for the 211th pick. And I'm like, well, he wasn't never really a starting corner in Indy. 
where they spent a second on him. So, yes, maybe he will be. Um, he may be something in between. He might be a decent backup, which is also important. You need depth in this league. But uh, I'm, I'm not ripping it. I'm not saying it was dumb. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it. I'm not saying I don't like the player. I guess I'm just reacting more to the people who feel like the Jets got a starter for the 211th pick because I think that's a little bit too ambitious. Um, and in time, we'll find out. But, uh, but, but, but I had a, a, that a question, Alex. sixth-round pick? That Sorry? we got back from them? Was I don't think so. It was pick 211. I think, we got I think back? they already had pick 211. No, that's Okay, because I was curious pick. about that. Got, yeah. Because we sent, I yeah, thought, a yeah. six to get to Marius Thomas, and I kind of thought it was interting how we traded back with him, and I'm like, did we get that sixth round right. pick back from them? You know, and it's kind of yeah, like, I don't, I, got I, a free I could, player, I, you know? Don't, uh, don't, don't hold me to that. I could, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But yeah. um, I mean, if he did, that, that's a great the move. Thing that, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, the, the question I had, Alex, and, 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 and uh, I don't blame you if this is something you hadn't considered yet because I hadn't thought of this. Um, this is something I saw pop up on my Twitter feed, um, and I, I read it and went, wow, that's, that's a really good thought, um, a wild possibility, but it could happen. Can't rule it out. So, Alex, given the current climate, given the COVID thing, Given the fact that we're we're hearing there might not be a season college football, there might not be an NFL. Maybe maybe they'll play in empty stadiums. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? Could the uncertainty? Could we see more players, more college players, look at this current situation and say, you know what? In case there's not a college season, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to enter the supplemental draft now and get into the NFL. Mm-hmm before I sit on the shelf for a year or have a limited season where there's not as much film and I may not be at my best leading into the draft. I mean better players. I guess that's my main point. If you're a guy in college right now and you're thinking, oh, I'm probably a first or second round pick next year, and then all this happens and you're like, damn, what if, I only, what if, what if we only play five or six games last year? What if I roll an ankle and I only play two games and I fall to the sixth or seventh round? Could this be a situation where guys who are eligible step uh, Trevor Lawrence, I hadn't even thought of that. I, I mentioned this to someone earlier. The first I said, oh, yeah, someone made mind. this point on Twitter. And the guy says to me, yeah, what if Trevor Lawrence did it? And I'm like, oh my, oh, my God. That thought hadn't even crossed my mind. I almost think Lawrence wouldn't because, well, no, he, he, he would probably, I would imagine if he did it, then he goes to the Redskins. The Redskins would offer a first-rounder, and they would get Trevor Lawrence. Um because obviously the teams ahead of them that already have quarterbacks or just drafted quarterbacks aren't going to do it. But yeah, why why not? You know, well, I guess yeah, it's only the, the only team ahead of the Redskins at this point would be the Bengals who took a quarterback. So the Redskins would get Trevor Lawrence, but I don't think it's that crazy. Sometimes you see these theories online, you think, "Oh, you just think where do these idiots come up with this?" But this one I read and I went, "Oh, damn. That's a good point." You might have college guys who are worried that they won't get another season of college film, or like I said, a minor injury, and they can fall down a draft board. Do you, do you, am, am, am I crazy to think that that's a possibility? No, I don't think that that's crazy at all. I, I definitely feel like it could be a possibility that could change a lot of players' uh, timeline for what they want to do. Um, you know, I don't know 
what kind of guaranteed money is allocated for the supplemental draft. I know that there are restrictions or limits to, like, what first-round guys get. And, you know, theoretically, he'd be a number one pick overall if, if we had the draft today. Um, and, you know, that could be like a $40 million guaranteed deal. Um, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm not familiar with how the money allocation is set up with the supplemental draft, but I'm definitely sure that there are players that might switch their their gears and, and, and like you said, try to get their foot in the league now while everything is kind of up in the air with who knows what's going to happen um, because, you know, none of us can foresee what's going to happen a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's definitely a possibility. You bring up a good point there. Yeah, and I think that um... – I don't know. I think I think it's just it's 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 a crazy possibility, and it, I imagine that. Imagine even if it's not a ton. Like generally, you see like three, four, five guys, and they're usually like mid late round guys who have disciplinary issues coming up, and they feel like they might not be eligible to play that year, so they enter the draft. But imagine like five or six guys who were first, second round talents, and and I, I was saying to some, pardon me, I was saying to someone earlier that um. You know, when you look at the Daniel Jeremiah's, the Matt Millers of the world, those guys are looking at the draft two, maybe even three years down the road, definitely two. I, you know, I look at the current year, the current upcoming draft, and I educate myself as much as I can. But Matt Miller tweeted something the other day, and I don't know if it was him, but it, someone else, I saw a similar tweet a couple months ago. Um, but Matt Miller tweeted something like, you may not be ready for this, but – the 2021 draft class, the receivers are going to be better than this year's. And that's not the first time I've seen that. And I'm thinking maybe that's part of the reason Joe Douglas didn't feel rushed. Maybe Joe Douglas knows, Mm -hmm. like I said, I've got Perryman on a one-year. I've got Mims, Perryman on a one-year. Crowder, who, listen, I love love the year Crowder have. I think he's a hell of a player. But um, who knows what's going to happen there. I, I mean, the Jets, like I said, next year, they, they could have $100 million in cap space. They shouldn't be looking to cut extra guys. But it just so happens that Crowder, if they were to cut him, is like a $9 million savings. So if they play Berrio wow. this year and they feel like he can be a similar guy to Crowder, or if they feel like they can get someone in the draft, um, why pay Crowder $10 million if you can pay Berrios much less than that or a rookie much less? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, that's getting a little bit too far ahead. But just the fact that I've now seen tw- twice now, I've seen two evaluators say next year's receiver class is going to be better than this year's class, that's just insane. Um, but may- maybe that played into Joe Douglas's thinking in not taking three receivers. I still don't like it. I'm still pissed off that Brian Edwards is a Raider. Um, oh. I'll, just, I'll have to live with that. I'll have to live with it, Alex. And, you know, um, anything else, that. man? You got, you got anything else for us, Alex? We got We got – all the time in the world, or we can wrap it up if you're uh, ready to roll on. What do you got? Yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion. And now that you talked about Brian Edwards, I mean, somebody that, you know, if we were had to put a list together of our guys, you know, um, you know, mm-hmm. Mims would probably be on my list. Edwards was definitely on yours. Um, and we had a couple mm-hmm. guys that hit here. I mean, what, what were you, your experience when I, I see Bowden get picked and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And I'm like, you know what, Mayock's a smart guy. He would get somebody like that. And it was like a week ago he said that there's, you know, guys that are not pegged in stone with the position that they're in. They, there's a lot of, like, multifaceted kind of players here. And it's just funny how he gets, like, the biggest – I don't want to say gadget guy because I, I feel like that's a negative thing. But, I mean, 
he played quarterback, running back, returner, you know, wide receiver. You I know, know. I know. And I'm like, I'm like, all right. I'm like, well, you know what? We still got Tyler Johnson. We still where got Brian he, Where did he end up? Like, oh, back on the I, clock. I tried to keep up with it. I tried to keep up with all the guys we projected. Where, who took Bowden? I missed that. He went right before Edwards. They they double dipped on did he? Okay. Yeah. Who took him though? What team? It was Oakland. Oakland had back to back picks. Oh, they took both. So they ended. They took three wide receivers, Rugs in the first, and then in I think round oh, four wow. it was, if I'm not mistaken, they take Edwards and and Bowden, and it's like you really have a, a a trio right there, you know, to throw into the mix for for Carr now. So I mean, it's a little bit a uh, little bit scary. Yeah, that's that that's a good group. That's a really good group. At least you know we'll see. And that's the thing, you know, receivers do have a high bust rate, so you may as well draft three or four. Because if two of them bust, you still have two. If if three, four of them work out, you got trade bait. Um, but you know it didn't work out that way. But yeah, of, of the guys that I really liked, um, Beatish going to uh, Dallas, oh. that was a shame. Right at the end of the fourth um, or fifth Edward, round, something like that. Yeah, like last pick in that round. Um, Prochet being on the board as late as he was, not taking him. Juwan Jennings, who we talked about quite a bit. Um, there were definitely opportunities yep, there to yep. get these guys. Um, but Cameron Clark, I loved. I don't know if you talked about him. Um, I can't remember if we talked about him because I've, I've talked about him a lot. I've done like three or four podcasts between our own and other podcasts over the last five days, so I can't remember who I talked about when. Um, I'm sure I talked <laughs> about Cameron Clark yesterday on ours because I, I love the guy. Uh, my favorite pick, really, outside. I mean, the, first, the top two, obviously you got to love those. Left tackle. Franchise left tackle, potential wide receiver one. Bryce Hall you love because he's a potential cornerback one at you know at, in the fifth round. I get that, but of all, if I had to you know rack and stack all the other picks, my favorite Cameron Clark. Um, I, I've said before, watch him again. You know, go to YouTube, watch Charlotte against Tennessee, watch Charlotte against Clemson. The guy looks like he belongs. He's number seventy-one playing left tackle. He's going against upper-tier guys. Uh, had quite a few reps against the Jets, uh, Kyle Phillips, because uh, that that the Tennessee game was two years ago, so Phillips was in uh, still in college, and just handles himself really well, plays through the whistle. I can see him being a guy that draws a few penalties uh, from opposing defenders because he will he will just cross that fine line of still driving you into the ground that split second after the whistle goes, um, and you do enough of that and you'll get you'll draw some penalties. Um, and I just I think he's going to be a really good interior guy. I like Ben Breeders a lot leading up to the draft, and I, I can't put my finger on it, but the last time I watched Breedison, um when I went back and watched a couple of his games, I was far – I was underwhelmed. I was like, this guy isn't jumping out at me the way he did in the other games I watched him. So I kind of cooled on him a little bit, um, and Cameron Clark sort of became and – I, and I said this on the show last night, Alex, um, and people – I, I am an honest man, Alex. I'm not, I'm, I don't want, I'm not trying to lie to anybody. And, and Cameron Clark may not work out, but I, I, I promise you, um, when we did our last draft, Alex, I don't know if you used the PFF simulator, um, but for some reason, when I did the PFF simulator, and it's possible I just missed him, but many, many times, as many simulations as I did, I kept looking for Cameron Clark in the fourth and fifth round. I looked for him under tackle. I looked for him under guard, and I could just never find him. So I was going to take him, but unless the PFF simulator had him going in round two or three, which I seriously doubt, um, I don't think they had him on there. 
Um, so he wasn't in my mock, but it wasn't because I didn't want the guy. I actually did an article days before the draft of the top sleepers in this class, and Cameron Clark was at the top of my list. Um, so I've, I've rambled on about him quite a bit. Did you have any thoughts on him? Have you had the chance to watch him? If not, check out the Tennessee and Clemson games. Yeah, you know, this is an odd one for me because usually, you know, I, I listen to a lot of draft-related, like, podcasts, and, you know, I follow the guys, all the guys at the Draft Network and a lot of other draft-related people. And for whatever reason, he was not on my radar. And, you know, everything that I've read about him is that he's a solid pass protector. He plays very physical. He's, you know, probably best set for a zone-style scheme, which I believe Gase runs. Um, and I have heard that he may be best as a guard because he can, he's got good feet and he can move when he's out in space. So, you know, it, it, and the first thing that came out to me was Jordan Reed and Trevor Sikama of the uh, draft network. Um, you know, those are the guys that I go to when I'm, you know, trying to figure out, wh- you know, who's who and who are their top guys. And, you know, I'll listen to what they say and then I'll write it down and then try to go find them later. And, um, you know, the fact that they spoke very highly of them definitely says something because, you know, those guys know what they're, they're talking about. And, you know, a lot of the uh, prospects and projections that they've come out with have, have actually um, come to fruition. So um, I definitely trust those guys' opinions. And I did get to see a little bit of the uh, Clemson game on one of those edited films. And, you know, it was so funny because every uh, offensive series that they had, it was like another touchdown for Clemson. So it was like, my first offensive series, it was zero seven, and it was zero fourteen, then it was zero twenty one. It's like, oh my god, are they ever going to score? Every every um, time, I know. But that's what I loved, Alex. If you looked at that game when it was like thirty eight seven, that dude was still busting yeah. his ass. That dude was still going right, after right. it, and I I love that. Yeah. I love that he was he just wasn't didn't care what the scoreboard said. His job was to beat up the guy in front of him, and he just kept trying to do it. Yeah, yeah, and you know he he has all the things that you want. You know he's. He's not like, you know, aggressively over, you know, weight for his size. He's got good length. Um, apparently, you know, he's not one of those players that um, was a captain on his team. So big theme for, for Joe Douglas, getting captains, uh, I think, five picks in a row. So he wants to create and establish, uh, you know, something within this locker room. He wants, you know, not just one guy that has to keep this locker room together. He wants unity and he wants – you know, a lot of guys that can bring leadership uh, qualities to the table. And, you know, we, we've talked about McClendon because of that. And, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, other guys in the past that, you know, have elevated players. And when you have a group of guys that all have that mentality, I, I can't not see how that doesn't work out for us, you know. Yeah, and one guy I meant to mention, Alex, you know, speaking of guys that we – we guys who were our guys and where they went um, – I may be criticizing the the Ashton Davis pick somewhat unfairly, um, A, because I didn't want a safety in this class. But as I've said already a few times, if, if it turns out the guy can play corner or nickel corner, um, that, that dramatically increases his value. Um, but, Alex, the guy we both had going to the Jets in our first mock, Zach Bond, we had him going to the Jets in round two. People said we yep. were idiots, that we were dumb, that we were crazy. There's no way, there's no way he's getting a second round, let alone 48. Um, not mm-hmm. only was he there at 48, he was there at 59. I feel like Zach Bond. I've said this before. People are probably tired of hearing me say it, 
But to me, Zach Bond is a day one, every down player, and they passed on him, and that really, that really irked me. I felt like this guy could be the best outside linebacker the Jets have had in a long time. Um, projected first rounder by many experts was there in round three. You passed on him and took a safety, who for the short term, probably not as much benefit. Probably be a rotational gimmick guy, um, but who knows next year. Ashton Davis might be the every down free safety. But as it stands right now, I wanted Zach Bond. He was there. And then the Saints, a few picks later, traded up to get him, and they got themselves, in my mind, a hell of a player. Uh, we, we, did you have an eye on Zach Bond there? Did you think that there was a chance they would take him? Oh, yeah. I, had, um, I was using the NFL draft tracker, and I was looking at particular players and kind of just sitting here saying, like, you know, now would be a great time. Uh, you know, to look look at this guy, you know, looking at the board here, that you know, this is the guy we should probably be targeting. And and then, you know, it's just kind of bizarre how everything played out. And, you know, the first thing I went to go do is because with this Ashton Davis guy, they, they talk about how crazy of an athlete he is. And, you know, they talked about his track uh, background and how he walked onto the team and he was a hurdle guy. And, and, and then I go and I look up his combine and I'm like, he only did the bench press. How am I supposed to gauge what kind of athlete I'm working with with here without any of those, you know, those figures, it, you know, to put in my head? Like, what kind of 40 time are we looking at? What kind of bird is it? You know, where was this three cone? You know, um, we didn't get to see him because, uh, unfortunately for him, at the end of the year, he got an injury and missed his bowl game and probably, um, you know, screwed up everything else that he had timelined in for, for his off season for, for the draft. Um and he's just one of those players that, you know, just completely unexpected. Um, and, you know, there was other players on the board that I was familiar with that I thought that we should probably go for. And, you know, Bond was one of those guys that, that were there. And, you know, I kind of thought this would be a good deal right here, right now. Um, and then I said, you know, Josh Jones is still on the board. Uh, what are we doing here? We need offensive line help. Um, yeah, but, Jones felt you know, quite it, a it bit. Work that way. I did see some folks say that they had him, a couple folks say that a lot of teams had him as a first-round talent, but those teams just yeah. weren't looking for a tackle in that spot. Um, and as I said, I would have been happy with him at 11 if the other guys were gone. But, yeah, you're right, Jones went late. A, a lot of guys who we believe will be good players, and we'll be wrong about a lot of these guys. Listen, first-rounders hit 50% of the time. You know, yeah. you go up and down this first round, you're going to be like, that guy's going to, he'll be good, he'll be good, he'll be good, he'll be good, he'll be good. No. Some yeah. of these guys are going to be out of the league in a couple of years. Um, so we'll be right. wrong about a lot of guys. I mean, I always think that's funny when I, you know, I understand I the. Uh, Lamb was a top when, 10 pick. Yeah. And when you watch when you watch the NFL Network or ESPN, anybody, whether it's Kuiper or McShay, not this year, no McShay this year, obviously, um, Daniel Jeremiah. They just, every guy, this guy's going to be a starter. This guy's going to fix their problem here. This guy's going to be a 10-year guy. This guy's going to do it. And round one, best players, 50% of them are not going to work out. Um, I actually had, I, forget, I don't know the guy's name. I forget this dude, like some guy was like really pretty upset that I like Josh Jones so much. Um, and when Jones fell out of the first, like we had this argument, this Twitter argument, because Twitter is a very serious place. Um Twitter argument a couple weeks ago about Josh Jones about the fact that I would take him at 11. And this guy on draft day was like, oh, you were going to take this guy at 11. You didn't even go in the first round. He's a bum. He sucks. You're an idiot. And I'm like, listen, guy, like, I want to protect Sam Darnold. And, and if I'm going on the assumption all the other guys are gone, I take Josh Jones round one. 
But um, yeah, he was I, one of the best pass uh, protectors in this class, and he had one of the highest ratings in PFF with pass protection. I just don't know in a passing yeah, league how you how you would value a position like that in a premium pick. So very very yeah, interesting. And, and why Richard. he fell that far, I, I can't believe somebody didn't move up to get him. But uh, you know that's the way it goes sometimes, and and some some of these guys will work out, some of them won't. Um, you know, I look at the Jets class, and listen, we th- this is this is what makes the draft great, especially when your team sucks and hasn't won a Super Bowl in 50 years. We're allowed to sit down and create a scenario in our minds where every one of these guys is going to be awesome, and we know they're not. Especially right. the Jets, Alex. You, I mean, we know we know the Jets draft history is bad. But if you go yep. back, I, I I found this I found this out because I this is last year or maybe the year before I forget when when Darren Lee was actually playing fairly well and I was trying to be optimistic I was like all right maybe maybe Darren Lee plays well enough to get a second contract maybe Brandon Shell plays well enough to get a second contract maybe Lack Edwards gets a second contract and I started thinking to myself when was the last time the Jets had a draft class where three or four guys got a second contract. I honestly, Alice, can't remember how far back I had to go. I think it was literally like 22, 23, 24 years ago that they had a draft class that produced three players that got a second contract. How pathetic is that? Wow. Just by law, the averages. You would think by accident somebody would take enough guys. And they, listen, I say it all the time. Parcells had two, Bill Parcells, football genius, football czar, NFL Hall of Famer had like two or three draft classes where he had 13 picks. None of them wow. produced a class with three guys that got re-signed. Maybe, maybe, maybe the class with, with you know, his big, the, the Ellis Abraham Pennington, maybe that would have, but you traded Abraham because he was hurt too often, which worked out well because you got Mangold. Uh, you know, Coles ends up leaving for Washington. They just do it. Listen, Alex, it's COVID-19. We have all the time in the world. I never thought I'd have so much time to look up information on the Jets. And go back, go, go to PFR, New York Jets draft history PFR, and scroll back and scroll back and see how far back you have to go to find a draft class where they re-sign three of their picks. Having said that, I'm probably, I mean, that's I probably one like eight years ago. Sorry? I mean, well, the whole narrative, though, is that the Jets don't, you know, keep their own in-house talent. And, you know, they let the, their players walk or they pay the wrong guy. And, you know, like we paid well, that, well, that, uh, that's Wilkerson true too, and we let because, Richardson go, you know. And, right, but that's the problem. They don't draft good players. And when they do, who were the last few guys they drafted that were worth keeping for a long time? Keyshawn, he got traded. Revis, he yep. got traded. Jamal, yep. looks like he's on on the early path to get traded. Yep. Not saying he will, but... It's not out of the question at this right. point. So on the rare occasions yep. that the Jets draft a guy worth keeping, they trade him. Um, it, it's bizarre. And I hope – I listen, Joe Douglas might be a great GM. He might be a horrible GM. But just based on the damn law of averages, somebody has got to have a decent draft class where there are three or four or five guys worth keeping. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it right now, it's how many starters that they um, came away from this draft. Um, I guess you could say, you know, the punter, 
he's probably going to get, you know, the starting job, Mims and, and Beckton. And now you look at the guys in the middle, um, if Hall ends up being healthy, you know, I could definitely see him in a starter role. Um, you know, with Zudiga and uh, Davis, you know, maybe rotational players this year, possible starters next year, and then you're looking at a class of, you know, five or six starters coming away from this, this draft, which is kind of that, – that's what you want when you walk away from a draft. You know, you, you want to be able to fill in those positions. You want people that are going to be able to contribute within a year or two um, when, you're, when you're talking about mid-round picks. And it really seems that, you know, this guy Clark has an opportunity to grab, grab a job next year, um, maybe this year. Because, um, you know, Lewis wrote in uh, Fant and, uh, well, McGovern's on a two-year guaranteed deal. But all the other linemen are on one-year deals. So they could all be replaced by next year. So that's a good opportunity yeah, I, for Clark. I, I, think, I think the biggest thing with you Clark, I, I think the biggest thing with any of the rookies is that, I don't think there's going to be a training camp. There's not going to be OTAs. Um, so I think I think teams, especially when you're talking about O linemen, uh, coaches are going to go are going to want to go with veterans who have been there. But 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 here's a, here's here's a bright a bright spot, Alex. Um, I was just about to go back and look and see how far I have to go to find the Jets with a draft class where they retain three players. Um, health will be a big issue if guys stay healthy. That that that's a big question mark. But it could be Alex if everyone stays healthy and continues to play the way they have, the 2018 class could have four players that are worth re-signing. Darnold, Shepard, Herndon, Fadakasi. So yeah, maybe for, sure. for the first time in a million years, the Je- e- even this last year's class, Polite's gone already. Well, he was gone after 10 minutes. Adoga. You wanna, I don't, last night's show, Alex, I was talking about Chuma Adoga. I... I don't think I've ever drawn a bigger blank. I couldn't. I had to sit and think for like two minutes. I was. I felt like an idiot. I'm like that guy, the tackle. He played on the left and the right, <laughs> and I, I complete blank. But Chuma Doga, not yeah. Wesco, who's your guy, and I like Wesco too. You love him. I like him. Nothing wrong with that. Cashman, yep, yep. I think the injuries are going to hold him back. I mean, when you, when you have like right. multiple surgeries throughout college and then you get injured in your first year in the pros, I'm not very optimistic. Um, but we know Williams, I'm 100% confident Quinn Williams is going to blow up this year, and he's not going anywhere for a long time. Adoga, if he gets stronger, he'll hang around. West goes on the bubble in terms of a long-term guy. Cashman on the bubble, and Austin, it's injury concerns. So there's a lot, that's, a, that's, like, that's like four guys out of eight or seven have question marks. But the previous year, Darnold, Shepard, Herndon, Fadakasi have all shown they can play at a very high level. Um, the 17 class, Jamal Adams will be the last man standing. The year before that, Jordan Jenkins, he's still around. He's on a one-year deal. That's it. Jordan Jenkins, last guy left in the 2016 class. The entire 2015 class is gone. The entire 2014 class is gone, minus Quincy Inunua. Brian Winters is the only guy left in the 2013. The Jets averaged one guy a year since, like, 2013. 2012 class, all gone. 2011 class, all gone. And they were all gone quick. Kenrick Ellis, how long was he around for? Well, actually, I take that back. No, you had, you had Powell, Curley, and Moe. So there you go. There's three. Those guys hung around. But it's, uh, it's rare. I'm, I'm going to go back 20 years and see how many times the Jets had three guys 
that got a second contract. And I would I would venture to guess over 20 years, it's not more than two or three. But we'll see. I, I, I've been but rambling long enough. We're in such a detrimental, <laughs> a oh detrimental team when and, and listen, you go through I'm, this I'm, class that's and it's another, like, you know, you got 27 That's another reason That's it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's another reason I'm looking at this class a bit more harshly than years past. I find right. that I, I tend to be too generous. I know we want to be optimistic, but I, like, I, I wait too long to say I don't like that guy or I don't like that decision. Um, this time around, I'm saying it now. Ashton, Ashton Davis, kind of the exception. Might be a great player, but would have preferred Zach Bond. Perrine, don't like the pick. Morgan, would have liked the pick later. Where they picked him was too early. So there's already two or three guys in this class that I'm looking at and going, nah, wouldn't have done that or should have done it later. Um, but we'll see. Like I said, a lot of people I'm going to do a little. Yeah, we were talking about James Morgan. A lot of people had Eason and Fromm ahead of him and were pretty shocked that he got selected before those guys. Yeah, I remember, I forget who it was. A few weeks ago, they were they were saying look for Eason to sneak into the first round, and I was like, "Wow, what? I didn't see that coming." Um, but that's the problem with the draft, Alex. I've said before, and I, I say this every year, and I never do it because I always think of it too late. But uh, one year, maybe next year, I'm going to write down every name of every player that I hear somebody say this guy can sneak into the first round, and I guarantee you by draft day it'll be like 150 guys because people just yeah. want to. They want to throw stuff out there, so if it happens, they can be like, I'm the one who said that guy would sneak in. Yeah, dude, you said 13 guys would sneak in. One of them did. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it happens every year with people projecting this guy, that guy, and the other guy's going to sneak into the first round. Uh, there's only 32 spots, folks. And, th- and then, there, then there's always like 70 names that people tell you there's no way he's falling out of the first round. And it's like you realize there's only 32 picks, right? We're up to 70 players right. that you are saying will be picked in the first round. So, you know how many times I was told Denzel play. Mims wouldn't be there for us? Yeah. You want to know how many times I was told absolutely. on Twitter that Denzel Mims will absolutely not be there for the Jets in the second round? I mean, I, I uh, did a couple, you can't see my I face, but I'm mocks, smiling Alex. big right now. Dude, I, I did a couple of mocks where Denzel Mims was still on the board, and I passed on him because I was like, well, I want to make this realistic, and Denzel Mims isn't going to be there. So I'm not going to do something stupid. Yeah. And, and throw off my draft by taking a guy who's not going to be there in real life. I started doing it with Zach Bond as well. And lo and behold, they're there. A.J. Terrell, who I loved and thought, oh, I'd love to get him in round two. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first corners gone. So, yeah. listen, we guess, we spitball, we, 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 we project, we, we do our best, we go off of what we hear from the guys who supposedly know more than us, and then we take our own opinions. And listen, it's sports, man. It's all just fun, right? Like, right now, yeah. a lot of people, oh, hell, millions of people uh, can use sports right now as a distraction from real life because um, it's crazy times. Uh, I know it took my kids to the park the other day. That was literally the first time my wife and kids have been outside the house in six weeks, like, other than our wow. backyard. Um, yeah. Cause like, for me, like, you know, the only other time I left the house was to get tested because we thought I had it. And my doctor was like, well, it came back negative, but I think you still had it. Um, so who knows? But hmm. it's absolutely crazy time. So I know I've been using the draft and the Jets and Jet Nation and, and writing as much as I can to distract myself. Um, I encourage others to do the same because uh, not a lot of good in, in dwelling on 
the world right now. So uh, you got anything else, Alex? We're down to our last minute or two here. Yep, yep, we're running out of time here. Um, no, I think we hit all points. Um, you know, obviously we're going to do deeper dives as we go um, get closer uh, to September, and, you know, we'll start getting more information to see, you know, where this all leads to. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, reuniting for, for, like, training camp and, you know, who will be looking forward to go see and all that fun conversation because, you know, there, there's no baseball right now. So, you know, we got to find other things to get excited about. And, you know, the, the draft is definitely one of them. And, and now it's just kind of, you know, what can we do? What, what fun can we draw up between now and then? So um, I think we hit it all. Um, we'll, we'll obviously go in deeper. And, um, yeah, let's save a little something for next week, I guess. And uh, we, can, we can do our sponsor here and sign off. All right, uh, so Jet Nation Radio would like to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. If you have a business to manage and you're looking for ways to improve customer engagement on all of your social media platforms, be it Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it may be, contact Mile Social by visiting milesocial.com, M-I-L-E, social.com. Thank you so much for joining us, Jet fans, and we will catch you next week. Alex, good, good having you back on, and uh, a week from now we will, be, we will do it all over again. Yeah, uh, do a little bit more uh, film study, and, and, you know, maybe we'll have some uh, articles out for you guys out there uh, on JetNation.com so we can really, uh, you know, get into the nitty-gritty of all these players here. And, again, thank you, uh, you know, Scott Carter, for giving us your time from, uh, you know, uh, editor and writer from the Florida Gators, and uh, Dominique Davis, yep, you know, and coming Dominique in, Davis um, for joining new us. UDFA. Really exciting talking to new Jets players. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be keeping an eye on you and – you know, we hope for, for the best moving forward for, for you, uh, Mr. Davis. So uh, thank you. All right. Um, thanks a lot, Alex. Uh, everybody have a good night. Be well. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.